As we turn our eyes upon Jesus, let's turn to his word. Let's turn to the book of 1 Timothy. It's what's called a pastoral epistle or a letter written by Paul to a young pastor named Timothy. It's toward the back of your Bibles. And by the way, if you have your Bibles and you get to 1 Timothy, you may want to mark it because uh, we're going to be there this summer. Uh, We're going to journey through together uh, for flourishing for God's household, looking at this incredible letter that God has given to us from the pen of the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but given to us as church. And boy, uh, you're going to see this is an incredible passage that that we need to dig into. We're going to do that. We're going to turn our eyes to Jesus both this day and every Sunday. So excited for this. And let me ask you a question as we begin. How are you when it comes to reading directions? How are you when it comes to following the owner's manual? Maybe for something that you bought, do you even know they usually come with them? I see a couple of shaking heads. Uh, uh, For me, you know, I just figure I will definitely read the owner's manual as my absolute last ditch option. You know, when I realize that it's like, you know, when I'm just at that point where I'm going to just quit this and I cannot do it, there's no way I could do it. They're like, oh, what does the owner's manual say? And I start arguing myself. I say things like this, you know, I have a master's of divinity. It may have taken me eight years to get a three-year degree, but I have a master's of divinity. I've studied Greek and Hebrew. How can I can't put this thing together? Maybe I'm a little bit more of a moron than I want to be, but... Owner's manuals, they're there for a reason. I usually ignore them. How about y'all? Has anybody here ever rented an Airbnb? I mean, an Airbnb, it's a great way to go. Am I the only one? A few reluctant hands. I mean, what a great way to travel now. Uh, you get to go and pick out. You don't have to stay at a, a Motel 6 anymore uh, or anything else. Uh, you get to go to maybe somebody's house and, and stay there. But every Airbnb, they're going to have household rules. And it'd be a good idea for you to read them. Let me ask some of you all that go there. Do you just walk into the house as if you own it? You know, I've paid good money for this. I own this for this weekend or whatever. But there usually comes with a a house rules or we just walk in thinking we own the place. Well, 1 Timothy is like the owner's manual for the church. It's what it really is. 1 Timothy is like an owner's manual for the church. It's a how-to guide. It's a how-to guide for, to, for the pastor. This is what it means to be the pastor and, and for the leaders of the church. And so as King's Chapel desires to flourish, as we desire to grow, we really need to st- study First Timothy. That's where God has us, an important time right now in the body of our church, in the life of our church. And, and for us to, to operate according to the owner's manual, we got to learn to live according to First Timothy. And I need to learn how to pastor according to First Timothy because there's a lot of directives here for you, the church, and here for me, the pastors. We can't just walk in here as if we own the place, right? We can't just walk in here and say, hey, we know how to do this. Uh, you know, uh, we have some knowledge and we can't walk like in here like we own the place, not because this is the Orlando Korean church. I mean, we can't walk in here as the bride of Christ. We can't walk in here as Christ's church thinking we own the place. We are, this is good news, we are part of the bride of Christ. We are Christ's church. He's purchased us with his blood. This is his. You're part of his family, right? So this isn't what Jeff thinks. This isn't what we all think together. This is what God thinks. And God's going to tell us some ways to live. 
And I'm going to tell you, some things you're going to like and some things you're not. And some things you're going to say, well, that's good for today. And some things you're going to feel like, well, that seems a little outdated. But if this is his, and this is his owner's manual, and, and, and if it's, we are to live according to it, it's really important for us to dive in. So this is important stuff. This isn't just, hey, I want to entertain you with preaching through First Timothy, or, hey, I want to give you some more knowledge. I mean, this is like, hey, we're a part of something important here. We are part of the bride of Christ. And to do so, he wants us to behave in a certain way. And he wants us to, to respond in a certain way and act a certain way. So he's given us an owner's manual. Uh, and it's a beautiful thing. So we got to use this owner's manual for God's glory. So we're going to look at this morning. It's going to be like an introduction uh, to this letter. Um, and we're going to look at the following things. The manual for the household of God. We're going to see God's special me messenger that gives us this. The recipients of God's special message. The purpose of God's special message. And lastly, the aim of God's special message message in first timothy so what i'm going to do today we're going to look at first timothy 1 verses 1 through 5 and let's we're, we're going to journey through this entire book we're going to look at first timothy 1 1 through 5 and then we're going to uh, flip to first timothy 3 verses 14 to 16 that will tell us the purpose of the book so let's hear the word of the lord holy and inerrant hear god's word Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus, I, our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship or this is like God's plan that word stewardship is so important I'll tell it to you in a minute from uh, for stewardship from God that is by faith the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith let's turn over to chapter 3 Verses 14 through 16. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And this is an ancient like hymn that they would chant together. They would say together. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up to glory. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we thank you that in your wisdom you have given to us an owner's manual. Now well, your whole word is truly an owner's manual of how we are to live and how we are to know and love you and, and serve you as we serve others. But God, specifically, here in First Timothy, it's such a, an owner's manual for the church of how we as the bride of Christ, we as the household of God, the church of the living God, how we are to behave. It says it just right there in black and white. And God, we want to be obedient children, but we know that 
we need your word. We need your spirit. We need the good news of the gospel because, God, we are so prone to wander as your sheep. God, forgive us for walking in here believing like we own the place, as if this was our church. This is Christ's church, and he is the head of this church, and we need to hear from him. So God, I pray that you would do that which only you can do, that you would give us the ears to hear your voice, that God, you give us the minds that would understand your word, that you would give us hearts that would embrace your truth and your love, and that you give us feet that would walk in a manner worthy of your name. God, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true and, and come from this owner's manual, that comes from your word, would you use those things to, to help us to, to be obedient children, to help us to live for your glory and the good of our neighbor. And we pray this in Christ's matchless name. Amen. The first thing we see is this, is this is a manual for the household of God. And, and as we begin, let me just remind us of like who owns the household. Who's, who's are we? Uh, it's the church of the living God, the household of God. It's, it's uh, the Greek word oikos, household of God is who we are. And the beginning of the letter, it tells us about who God is. Who owns it? God does. And it says, it's God, our Savior, and Christ Jesus, our hope. I mean, what great description. It goes on in verse 2, God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. Interesting, and it starts off, it says, God, our Savior, talking about the Father. Most of the time we think of the Savior, we think rightly of Jesus. I mean, he's the, the eternal God who became flesh and dwelt among us. He's the one who lived the life we failed to live. He's the one who died the atoning death that we deserve to die for us on our behalf. He was the one who was resurrected from the dead to give life and life abundantly. He is truly the Savior of the world. But when it says God our Father is Savior, remember it was the Father who initiates our salvation. It's the Father who so loved the world that he would give his only begotten Son that whoever believeth in him shall have everlasting life. So it's a cool thing that will say, hey, our father's the initiator. Our father truly is a savior. And also that Christ Jesus is our hope. Uh, he is what 1 Peter 1 verse 3 will say. He is a living hope. He's a living hope. Why? A true living hope. Because he was dead, but he got out of the grave and he now lives. Uh, he, he, uh, he bore uh, our sins in his body that we, knowing that he's lived that righteous life, that he had that atoning death and his bodily resurrection, we know that we have hope for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Hit pause. Do you need hope? This is Jesus. I mean, this is Jesus. He's saying, your past is covered in the blood of Christ, Christian. Your, your, your present is empowered, Emmanuel, God with us. Your future is secure. This is a living hope. So, so who owns the house? God owns the house. It's God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope. This is, this is his, uh, but don't lose that hope in Christ Jesus. And he is the one, and listen how the letter begins. He's the one who gives us grace, mercy, and peace. What a way to start a letter. Grace is a typical way that Christians greeted one another. Grace, grace to you. That was, that was kind of a nuance uh, that Christians used the word grace, um, and, and they would want to remind each other as they came into a presence and fellowship, grace to you, grace to you, grace in the name of Jesus, uh, grace, that God's grace may be real to your life. 
And then the word peace. And peace is something they, they borrowed or, or they continued really from the Old Testament, from the Jewish culture. This is the word shalom. Shalom, peace to you. And again, the word peace to us, it, it means a lot more to the Jewish uh, culture, to the, to the word in Hebrew. Shalom, this peace is like inner peace, outer peace. May all things be at peace. Why? Because in Christ Jesus, we have peace with God, amazingly. And in Christ Jesus, we could have peace with one another. So it starts off by saying, hey, grace to you. Isn't it great that God doesn't say, hey, by the way, laws to you. By the way, let me tell you, wrath to you. He starts off and says, let me tell you, grace to you. And not only that, but, but peace to you. And that's a typical, you know, throughout the New Testament, you'll see grace and peace put together. But here in 1 Timothy, they threw in an extra bonus. Mercy. Grace, mercy, and peace. And, and really the best way to see God's mercy is here is, is picking up on the Old Testament Hebrew word hesed, which means loving kindness. God's loving kindness to you, a love that will never let you go and never stop. And so a letter begins by saying God's grace to you, God's mercy to you, God's peace to you. What an incredible God, the one who owns the household and how he, he speaks to us. So he's the one who owns the house. He, this is the household of God. This is the church of the living God. He is the one who created the house rules. The rules don't come from Paul. They don't come from Timothy. These are words that God's Spirit has breathed. Uh, God is the creator of the rules. He is the source of all truth. <laughs> that, it's, it's, if, if all truth comes from him, it's true. He is the source of all truth. And so these rules come from him. Paul and Timothy are just stewards of God's rules. That word steward is very an interesting word. It's, it's taking the Greek word household of God, a compound word, household of God, and it uses that household rules very similarly. And then that word can be translated stewards of God's plan. So my point is this. This is God's word to us. This is God's rules. How do we live? And it's not Paul's opinion. It's not Jeff's opinion. It's not Timothy's opinion. This is God's word. It's his truth. Paul doesn't reveal to us new truth. I mean, sorry, Paul doesn't give us new truth. It comes from God. He just reveals this is what God's truth is all about. This is important because, again, we're going we're gonna to study through this, and we got to know that this is, that, that word uh, stewardship is like a program of instruction. It's his owner's manual. Because I guarantee you this, there'll be verses in this that you'll want to say, seriously? I don't like it. And we're going to say, huh. If we put ourselves over the authority of this, we'll reinterpret it. But this has got to be our authority. God owns the house. God writes the rules. He does it for his glory. we got to submit to him. And again, they're gracious. Don't forget, grace, mercy, and peace. That's what he's going to lead with us. Okay, so what is the church? Again, the Greek word church means is ekklesia. It means called out, literally. We are called out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's the church, okay? It's not a building. It's not what. It's really who. But what does it say about the church here? It says the church is to be a pillar and buttress of truth. We are to be a buttress. I, I looked that word up. Uh, uh, the foundation of truth, the pillar of truth, God's truth. We build upon a, a rock-solid foundation. Um, you know, uh, we got to make sure you build upon a good foundation. I mean, without it, it's going to crumble. 
So uh, as a church, we are to be that, that foundation of truth. We are confessing the mystery of Christ. What is the mystery of Christ? The Bible says that mysteriously and beautifully in the gospel that God is reconciling all things to himself, heaven and earth. Now stick with me here. That God who is, is reconciling all things in heaven and earth in Christ Jesus. He's making them all one. It's an incredible mystery that Christ Jesus is, is making one of Jew and Gentile, making one of male and female. He is making all things new. And that's this mystery that Christ Jesus is our hope. We are to proclaim the mystery. Jesus is the hope of the world. It's not a new leader for a Republican or Democrat party. It's not that America becomes great again. We hope it does. It's not that the world has this or that or the other thing. The hope of this world is Christ Jesus. He's the hope of the world today and forever. We declare that mystery, that in Christ Jesus, there is reconciliation. So we see who owns the church this is a manual for the household of God who comes up with the rules. Then we see that in this letter, we have God's special messenger. It's Paul. And Paul calls himself something we got to look at. He says in verse one, he's an apostle by the command of God. Now, Paul makes it clear every time he writes that him, that Paul becoming an apostle, he's basically saying, I am equal with one of the twelve. I'm equal with one of the ones who hung out with Jesus for those three years. An apostle had special, it was a special office. They're no longer apostles. I mean, some churches might call their leaders apostles. That office is over with, all right? But they had some special, unique powers or abilities or giftedness to build the church. And Paul wants to make sure, by the way, I didn't get this from men. I got this directly from God. And you remember the story of the book of Acts. It said, repeats it three times of how Paul came to Christ. That Jesus, uh, when he was on the way to Damascus, would meet with him, knock him off his donkey, and say, hey, what are you doing, Paul? You're, 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 you're persecuting me. Who are you? I'm Christ. And so Christ has called him to himself, and he has this. And again, first time you ever use it in all of Scripture, the command of God. So he's this apostle. Uh, he has a unique office. Um, and again, that office is no longer in existence. But he also calls himself in chapter 2, verse 7, he's a preacher, he's a teacher, and he's a steward. And a steward is somebody who's like an overseer of God's plan. A preacher, he preaches God's word, he teaches it. Uh, there is a different office. Uh, I hope that I do both of those for you, but a steward of God's plan. So this is Paul. He's the one who's writing it. And then we have the recipients of God's special message. Specifically, this is addressed to Timothy. Timothy is called in verse 2, a true son in the faith. Uh, we read through the book of Acts. He's introduced in Acts chapter 16. He's from a place called Lystra. Um, and we know this about Timothy. He had a believing mother and he had a Greek father. It's interesting. Uh, Paul loved him. And Paul said, man, this guy's going to be useful. And he's going to go with me. And so Paul himself circumcised Timothy because he was a Greek. And he wanted to make sure that there wasn't going to be a stumbling block for the Jews. So Paul, uh, true son, is somebody who circumcised him. He travels with Paul. Uh, here's the cool thing. You know how close they were together? This is the dynamic duel. This is Batman and Robin right here. How do I know it? Because, you know, it, when, when Paul writes 2 Corinthians, he says, from Paul and Timothy. When he writes Philippians, it's from Paul and Timothy. When he writes Colossians, it's from Paul and Timothy. 
First and Second Thessalonians from Paul and Timothy. Timothy was right there with him. A true son, I, I love this because probably a lot of people, especially Jewish descent, would say, what's this knucklehead doing with you? He's got a Greek dad. He's a half-blood. He's not a true son. He's not a true Hebrew. He, 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 he's got some, uh, some Gentile blood. And he's like, no, no, this is a true son. This is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a disciple. This is an amazing young pastor, warrior. That's he also, so Paul will say true son. He was also a young pastor. Uh, and we know that in verse uh, chapter 4, 12, Paul says to him, hey, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. Don't let anybody despise your youth, but set an example to the believers. He probably was in his early 30s. Isn't it great? You're still considered uh, young in your early 30s. Uh, I relate to this. The first time I had the privilege of becoming a lead pastor, I was 35. And at 35, you think, holy cow, these people have no idea what they're doing. They just gave me the keys. And what are they thinking, right? And so I think with that reality, he's talking to this young pastor, very talented. But he was also timid. I love this about him. He, this is timid Timothy. In 2 Timothy 1.7, he says, hey, Timothy, remember, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, bro. But God gave us a spirit of power, of, of, of love and self-control. Timid Timothy, man, you got the Holy Ghost in you, man. I mean, don't be afraid. You know, God's spirit is inside of you. So he's a young pastor. He's timid. Um, he's also a bit sickly. We find out in, in chapter 5, 23, some of you are going to love this verse. It might become some of your favorite. If so, I'm going to pray for you. But he says this. He says, hey, Timothy, don't just drink water, but drink wine because it's good for your stomach. Some of you are like, hey, honey, you hear that? It's good for my stomach. Preacher says it's good for me to get this bottle of wine. So I think it was more of an ailment. Uh, less of an addiction, but, uh, but somehow there was a, a, a sickliness uh, possibly for, for him, but he had a godly heritage. Again, 2 Timothy tells us that his godly mother was Eunice, and his godly grandmother was Lois. Hit pause. Don't you love the fact that they got their names in there? I mean, who gives a rat's fanny that her name was Eunice and Lois? But it's awesome. Timothy, you know, you got a godly mother. Eunice, what a great name. And your grandma, Lois. And I just relate to that because I had a godly mother and a godly grandmother. And, and like Timothy, he says, Timothy, you grew up always hearing about Scripture. And you came to believe it. Man, I feel a connection to him that way with that godly heritage. But what I want you to know more than anything is here's what you got in this story. You got, you got this owner's manual. You got it from Paul. Paul's like superhero. But Timothy's like us. Timothy's timid. Timothy's probably a bit weak. He's fearful. You know, he's kind of got that Greek dad thing going on and not always respected the way he should be. So here you got this letter uh, from God via Paul to Timothy. But it's not just to him, it's also to the church. It's called a pastoral epistle, meaning it's more attention toward the pastor. But it's also about the church. He says, remain in Ephesus, one of the most important churches of the time. It's for everybody. And it tells us how we are to act and how leaders are to lead um, and what we are to do. Okay, so uh, we have seen who owns the household. This is the manual for God, who the special messenger is, who this is, is given to. But what's the purpose of God's special message? Again, chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, it says very clearly, so you know how to behave in the household of God. He wrote this so we know how we are to behave. This is God's house. We are God's people. He gives us his word to teach us 
how to live, not just entertain us. We should digest it. We should enjoy it. We should spend time in it. We should marinate in it. Why? The special message. You are to live this way so that you can confess the mystery of Christ. Whatever God has called you to, and many of you, he's called to maybe be a homemaker. Some of you may be a teacher. Some of you may be a, a, a police officer or law enforcement. Looking out over here, lawyers, uh, doctors. I mean, there's a pretty wonderful gamut of, of folks uh, here, uh, businessmen and women. Whatever God has called you to do, he's gifted you for, but there's no greater calling for you as a Christian than to proclaim the mystery of what Christ Jesus has done. You proclaim the mystery of what Christ Jesus has done with your words, with your deeds, the way you treat others, the way you love others, the way you live for something other than yourself, the way you live for the glory of God. That's how we confess the mystery of Christ Jesus, of what God has done for us and the world through Christ. So that's the purpose of God's message. But what's the aim of God's special message? And we're going to wrap up with this as the aim of God's special message in verse 5. It's love. Do you love the fact I'm going to write a letter so that you will love God more and love your neighbor more? It's not a household rule so you can be legalistic. It's not these rules so that you can be judgmental. It's not these rules so you think you're better. It's because of love. Loving God and loving your neighbor If you're reading the Bible and you are not finding yourself loving God more and loving your neighbor more, something is awry. Because that's the bottom line of why he's given this. For love, out of a pure heart, may King's Chapel always target everything we do to the heart. We don't want to just target actions. Parents, if you're listening, this is a great way to parent. If you want to try to get your children to obey, you can focus on their behavior or you can focus on their hearts. If you focus on their behavior, it's temporary. But if you focus on their hearts, it's something that will be with them. Aim at their hearts, having a pure heart. May we be a church that is always going to trumpet the love of Christ. And may we be a church that always aims at the heart. Because out of the heart flows all of life we got to have a good conscience. A good conscience following the commands of God, not just our ideas of what we should do. A good conscience to say, God, we want to be obedient to you with a sincere faith, clinging to Jesus. I love it. He doesn't say working your backsides off. It's with a sincere faith, believing that Christ is enough, believing that he is your Lord and Savior. This is God's word, This is a manual given to us. Uh, What he calls us is incredible, the household of God, the church of the living God. May we realize that, God, you've given us because you love us, and may we be obedient to your word. This morning we celebrate the Lord's Supper. God's word is given to us as a manual. Uh, Also in God's word it tells us about the Lord's Supper as a manual for this too. Uh, If you are here and you are a part of the household of God, the part of the church of the living God, this is for you. But God's word says, if you're here and you don't believe, and if you're here and Jesus isn't your Lord and Savior, it doesn't mean that you one time were baptized or you one time were a part of a church, but do you believe that Jesus is our living hope? Do you believe that he is our Savior? If so, there's a meal for us. This is a meal that helps us. It helps us and strengthens us for the journey 
because we can't live out this manual on our own. This meal will help give us strength. This is a meal that reminds us, and not just helps us, reminds us of the sacrifice of Christ and what he has done for us, that in Christ Jesus, listen to this, in Christ Jesus, we truly are forgiven and we are free. This meal proclaims that and reminds us. This is a meal that points us, points us to the future, that there's a day coming. It's not today unless he comes back today where there's no more tears, no more sorrow, no more struggling. There's a day that's coming where our faith will change into sight. It's no longer going to be faith in Christ Jesus. I'm going to see him and know and love him. He says, do this until I come back. Do this in memory of me. This points to a greater meal coming. So for those of you who are his, for those of you who have embraced Christ as Savior, there's a wonderful meal for us. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for your wisdom that you've given us your word. Thank you that you commanded Paul to be a special apostle, that God, you spoke to him in unique ways to, to give us this plan, that he too was a steward of this plan, like I am, like, like Paul, like, like Paul and Timothy were. But God, may we be good stewards of this. And God, I thank you that in your word, you remind us of how loved we are in Christ Jesus. And, and Jesus, I thank you that, that we're yours. And I thank you that you've given us a meal that tangibly reminds us of the sacrifice you've made for us. It tangibly reminds us and feeds us that we are yours and you're for us. And that points us to a day that's coming where we'll eat with you face to face. Oh, Father God, may you feed your church today. May you strengthen us. May we at King's Chapel be an obedient bride of Christ. For the glory of our great God, for the good of our neighbor, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.